closely at the seams between order and chaos. Do you see the same things I see? The strain, the tears, the glimpses of truth hidden underneath. Why do they fight so desperately to mask what they are? Or is it that they become who they are when they put on the mask? Sometimes I wonder what you hide behind my silent friend. What mask do you wear? Or are you just as afraid as the rest of them? Me? Am I afraid? Nah, man. I'm different. the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. I'm Ryan Gemmel, back again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being back. We missed you. It's been almost a year. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited, excited. too. Hopefully we can get you uh, involved in some other shows, too. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> wink, yeah. wink. Yeah. And we can't wait to talk Mr. Robot again. This episode one is titled Episode 2.0, Unmask Part 1 and Part 2. Written and directed by Sam Esmail. IMDb gave it an 8.8 .8 and a 9, respectively. Although we only got one million viewers. See, that's messed up. Because yeah. this show should be getting more. Do you think it's because it's on USA or because it's on a Wednesday? I don't remember. I mean, I, I, it was highly acclaimed yeah. last season. So um, maybe people just weren't aware that it came back. Or when I was talking to Jamal, who, who's been on last season, mm -hmm. he was saying maybe because the show is so involved there's so much thinking involved you really want to pay attention to it maybe people just didn't watch it at the time because they were saving it for another time so that they could dedicate enough of their uh Mental full attention fortitude. yeah yes. full attention to it so to put it in perspective episode one of last year season one hello friend got 1.75 million viewers wow so it went down that's, that's bullshit yeah so weird because even the awards coming up rami malik has six award nominations really yeah. For, I mean, he's the... Yeah, for 2016. So he has nominations for Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Drama Series, for Best Performance by an Actor in a Drama TV Series, TCA Award for Individual Achievement in Drama, Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series, all these nominations coming up for him in 2016. So he's kicking ass. I, I know that more people are going to be viewing it. Just because they're going to hear our podcast and they're going to be like, oh, we got to watch this. <laughs> of course. Totally. Well, Slater won for uh, support, Best Supporting Actor, right? Who? Christian Slater. Oh, okay. I had to call yeah. him Slater. Yeah, yeah Slater. I started thinking of like <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Um, and Chris, you were talking about uh, Sam Eshmael. He directed this episode. It's a uh, fun fact. Last season, he directed three episodes. And I was listening to our podcast. We even pointed out that we noticed when it was him directing. Because That's right. His style was really pouring through during those episodes. And I guess he felt that way, too, because this is unprecedented. He, this season, he's directing all 12 episodes. Oh, awesome. And he's quoted as saying, even though we had great directors in the first season, there is something about the way that my visual stuff is very specific. That is, I just felt that taking the reins would be more of a cohesive visual style to the show. And I agree. And God bless him for trying this. 
I agree too. That's awesome because uh, I'm always looking for little hints and clues inside episodes and stuff. So I feel like he's really going to be on top of that more than maybe another director would be. Yeah, he wrote the first three episodes last season. Hello, friend, ones and zeros and debug. And he directed episodes two, seven and ten. And now he's directing all of them. You also said uh, part one and part two is what we're doing today. And we're doing a lot of research. And some people are saying part one, part two. But some people are saying episode one and episode two. Correct. Now, I don't really know what to believe. If you go off of Wikipedia, which, okay, not so trustworthy, but they list episodes one and two. So this counting as two separate episodes in the total of 12 that we're getting this season as opposed to the 10 episodes we had in season oh, so one. So we're getting in a whole extra two episodes or maybe one episode if this is a Right, if you count this as two, which it was extended time-wise as well. It did feel like two episodes in a way. Yeah, definitely felt like two episodes because I uh, they released the first half of the episode yeah. early. Oh, so, right. uh, so, I mean, I watched that before I got to watch the second part. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, there was a little bit of a gap in between. Well, they even said interlude, right? Intermission, Intermission, which I loved because this is calling back to Sam Esmail talking about how this was originally intended to be a play and that season one would really be like his prologue introducing things and season two would be where all the action happens. Right. He started us off with a lot of that action and exciting things happening in episode one as well as the part one, part two structure. So this season, like we're saying, uh, is going to be 12 episodes. We don't know if we have 12 weeks but we'll let you know as soon as we know. And uh, Ryan, you mentioned that you got to see it earlier, or you heard about it being earlier. This was cool. There was uh, a moderated interview, a Facebook interview, essentially a Q&A with uh, Rami Malek and Carly Chaikin, Portia Doubleday, she's hot, and Christian Slater, hosted by Keegan-Michael Key. And they were getting asked questions, and the people that were there at this live Q&A, Kegel Michael Key announced to the 50 fans attending the event yeah, yeah. Uh, in person that they were about to get a special treat, a preview of Wednesday's premiere a whole three days early. But meanwhile, people that were watching this on their Facebook page, uh, there was thousands of people streaming. They didn't get to see Key's announcement. Instead, their live feed was hacked, quote unquote, by a masked F Society member whose garbled voice thundered, why waste more time on pointless speculation? You deserve something new, something unexpected, something you'll never see before. You've never seen before. That's so awesome. that's pretty cool. It's uh. just it's it's atypical of them to just kind of mess with the norm of TV shows, the norm of interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I wish I would have uh, been watching then. That would have been great. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Need to keep up. I need to be ready for right before the new episodes come out or new season starts. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that this was so long and there was so much packed into it, and I can't wait, Chris, for you to unwrap that for us. But I was having an issue because we've been so knee-deep in Game of Thrones that that's all I've been thinking about and all I've been trying to memorize. And then we get thrown into this, and it's very long, and there's so much going on, and my head's like, shit, i got to get back on this rhythm, this Mr. Right. Robot get back beat. Into it. And listening into our p- past episodes, we were, we were really into it, and we had a lot of uh, 
guesses or a lot of predictions that we were right. We had some that yeah. we were wrong, but we were Plenty very plugged wrong. in. Yeah. But we were That's very fun, plugged though, in. <laughs> and I don't feel plugged in yet, so I'm not even going to start to make any guesstimates. They'll feel stupid, but... We also had a lot of listener feedback from season one reviews, and we would love to continue with that and interact with you, find out your theories and predictions on things as well. Yes, so you can talk to us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. That's our email. Or go to our Twitter website, at CKC Podcast, and uh, we'll be there to answer any questions you have. I think we should do the Reddit thing again also. I think that worked out pretty well. Yes. Uh, just for questions. Before we jump into the episode, just a quick note on what we were saying before. It does appear as though we will have separate episodes with airing dates all the way up until 11 and 12, which will air as another part one and part two Python. Oh, nice. So that would mean that real, there's only 10 episodes then, like 10. Correct. Right. Actual airing right. weeks. Of oh, the so season. there you go. You answered yeah. the question already. Okay, I also have a couple of notes before we get into our synopsis on this particular episode. We often talk about the origin of the title. The extension for this one is .tc, an extension that indicates a file has been encrypted with TrueCrypt. This is a freeware encryption program used for on-the-fly encryption. It was discontinued in 2014 following issues with unfixed file security problems. F-Society also talks about delivering a malicious payload entitled Tango Down. This refers to a terrorist that has been eliminated as used in U.S. Army Special Forces and also the Twitter signal that the hacktivist has completed a hack. Oh. So, you know, it's done. Mm -hmm. Tango Down, it's done. We have quite a few music notes for these two episodes. We see that the scoring and the music that's brought in is really important. The first one is Daydream in Blue, performed by iMonster. We hear this when you move from Elliot's head scan over to him writing in his marble notebook. I thought that given the title of the song as well as the lyrics, this was quite fitting to what he was going through at the time. You have Take Me Home, performed by Phil Collins, which plays as Scott Knowles brings the 5.9 million to Battery Park. I hadn't heard that song in so long. And that was great. It got you pumped up. (laughs) There's the theme from The Parallax View, composed by Michael Small in 1974. This plays as Philip Price ends his meeting with the feds. The Parallax View tells the story of a political conspiracy covering up the assassination of political figures and a reporter's attempt to uncover it. So I don't know how many parallels they attempted to draw from this, but interesting that it's put in there. And two more. One, you have Bull in the Heather by Sonic Youth. (laughs) Yeah, this was awesome. I was so into it. I was like, yeah, this is great. I love that they're putting this in there. Especially in this spot, playing in Angela's headphones Mm -hmm. while she's taking on this very critical attempt to get what she wants for the company. Right. She's taking a big risk there. She hung up on Bloomberg, you know, for for an interview. She said she was going with CNBC for... Um, the interview questions Mm -hmm. and uh, she was basically bluffing in that and uh, I looked up what bull in the heather it means yeah and bull in the heather is a horse and it was 29 to 1 odds that it was going to lose and it won the race so this is her bet you know making a bet uh, that she that they're going to call back 
It was a really, really good song for them to play right there. Yeah, all in the details. Sam Esmail is a genius. And we talked about this last season, shows where you could be looking too far into stuff that's not actually there, versus this show where it does seem like even the smallest details are put in purposefully, mm, such great. as here, and you could just watch on the surface and have it be very enjoyable drama, or when you look further into placement of objects in the scenes, music used where it is, I do think that Sam Esmail has all of these intentions in mind. Oh, yeah. Even just now, we were, well, we can talk about that later, I guess. We were, we were just looking at uh, the scene where the FBI agent comes in, and then maybe you wouldn't notice, but in the magazine, you see them talking about Tyrell's wife on In Touch. She's on the cover, <laughs> and it's just like off to the side, but it's talking about her and that she's become famous now after right. this whole ordeal. And you wouldn't really, like I had never put that spin on it through the whole episode, just rewatching it now. Like, oh, she's getting all of this out of the this Scandal. all that's happened yeah amazing placement everywhere the last song we hear is till we meet again performed by gladys rice which plays as the episode ends this song was written during world war one and tells the story of a man saying farewell to his sweetheart we have one tech note as far as i could find f society uses ransomware to extort e-corp Ransomware is a form of malware that disables a system or encrypts data and sends a message to the target demanding money to return the system back to what it was. And that's going to become an important theme as we talk about the episode. That was huge. Like, uh, Last year. Two, right? was it? Two no, years two years ago with the crypto lock. Yep. And that really, really promoted uh, Bitcoin yes. as a currency. It drove it through the price of it through the roof, which almost to the point where did the people of Bitcoin create this ransomware to promote oh. Bitcoin uh, and, you know, raise their, the price of it because a lot of people made a lot of money off of that. Yeah, hmm. maybe. A few more notes talking about looking for small things. As part of Elliot's daily regime, he sees at some point Hot Carla, which is the girl standing on the basketball courts lighting a fire. She is burning a book in a red wagon. In case you didn't notice, the book is the text of the Samuel Beckett play, Waiting for Godot, I think is how you say that. It's a two-act play in which two characters wait endlessly for this character. And although critics differ on the meaning of the play, it may at least in part have been about futility and the pointlessness of some enterprises. Hmm. What does that say about what's going on with Elliot? Again, we'll talk more about that as we get into this. Not just Elliot, the whole hack in general. Like, they thought it would take down Evil Corp, but they're still thriving and screwing people over at the same time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So where did that go, as well as what's going on in the battle for Elliot's psyche? Right. And is that proving pointless as well? Another note, some of you may have been wondering, the government officials that Philip Price meets with, who are these people? One is Jack Lou, Secretary of the Treasury. The second is Janet Yallen, chair of the Board of Governors and the Federal Reserve System. And three is Mary Jo White, chair of Secretaries and Exchange Commission. Together, they are the three highest-ranking financial officers in the United States. Wow. So they know their shit. Yeah, and he talks to them like... Like they're like Beneath him. Yeah. yeah, He He kind of tells them off. They, They don't know what to say after. Yeah, like they have no idea what they're doing. He has to lead them. Yeah. Right. All right, we can also talk about some of the new actors that we have on the scene in this series. 
One is Leon, played by Joey Badass, a new close friend of Elliot's from the neighborhood. The second is Ray, played by Craig Robinson, a man from Elliot's neighborhood who helps him, perhaps. We're not really quite sure what this character's importance is going to be. I was excited to see him in that role. Like, Craig uh, Robinson? Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to seeing him in comedies and stuff, and even in The Office, he played. Uh, he kind of played a straight-faced character. Yeah. But uh, this is like a serious This is com- role, completely different like. for him. I mean, we know him from This is the End, Pineapple Express, The Office, Hot Tub Time Machine, both of them, and the Dodge Dart car commercials. <laughs> Don't touch my dart. <laughs> And there was some humor in what he was doing. He brought that in, but he did a really good job with portraying the seriousness of the interactions that's happening between him and Elliot, and Elliot, of course, not remembering. We see Derek, played by Chris Conroy, which is the new young man in Joanna's life these days. We see Susan Jacobs, played by Sandrine Holt. You might recognize her from House of Cards. She's an Evil Corp general counsel who unsuspectingly will fit into F Society's plans. We'll talk about the hack on her smart home, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. There's also going to be some new ones that I don't think we saw in this episode. Correct me if I'm wrong. Someone named Lone Star, played by Michael Mays. He will be a Texas native and an off-balanced associate of Ray. Hmm. And RT, played by Luke Robertson, Ray's ex-employee who's known for his IT skills. I don't know if we saw him. Again, we, yeah. there was so much going on. But they'll be related to Ray, so clearly he's going to continue to play a role, and that will expand in the future. Okay, are we ready to get into our synopsis? Let's do it. Yeah. We'll break it up into parts. In part one, just to get you reacquainted, when we left off in season one, Elliot had just executed, though we didn't get to see that crucial moment, causing the largest upset to the world's financial systems in history. He heard a knock at the door, and the camera cuts when he goes to answer it. We don't get to see who that is. He wanted to save the world... But what becomes more important early in season two is actually saving himself. So opening up the episode, we are treated to seeing what the execution actually looked like, at least in part. That it was Elliot who did it, although it seems as though it could have been Mr. Robot who's acting in that moment and taking over. It's unclear. Some of the mannerisms might indicate it was him that went through with this. And Terrell is also there walking around with the mask on. So he probably did the last F Society video, taking the credit, and we see in this episode the blame as well. Right, and uh, if you listen to our last podcast of Mr. Robot, we actually had a, a pretty lengthy discussion trying to figure out who it was. Oh, I don't know if you remember. In the behind the mask? Yeah, and we were all kind of right. We were like, we were having a discussion. We were not arguing, but we were like defending our beliefs. Mm-hmm. But in a way, in the triangle, we were all right. <laughs> it was funny. We were also confused because the way they worded it, it sounded to me like Elliot had not been there for the moment of execution. His team hadn't been there either. They were there to clean up the pieces later. But because of his blackout and losing those three days and waking up in Tyrell's car, it led me to believe he had missed it as well, which might also still be true if it was Mr. Robot acting at the time. We're still not 100% sure. Well, yeah, and we've seen him blacking out more or and Mr. Robot taking over. Yep. Especially in the nighttime hours. We also saw that gun yet again, although we still don't know what it means. We didn't see the gun. We just saw popcorn moving around. Well, I think you just got him a handful of popcorn. Like, good job. Here's some (laughs) popcorn for you. He must be hungry. Well, I looked at that scene. Can we discuss that scene? Absolutely. Let's go. I looked at that scene. He like he was going towards the popcorn 
in an effort to get the gun and shoot Tyrell. But then Tyrell said something that really interested um, either Mr. Robot or Elliot, Mm -hmm. whoever he's being at that time. Because he stops in his tracks and he listens and he has a look on his face. And Tyrell says something like, um, wow, it's amazing. It's almost as if it has a life of itself or a life of its own. Yeah. Um, which I think we've heard before in season one uttered by either Elliot or someone else. Mm-hmm. So I think what that did was make, make him double think that and think, maybe I don't kill him. Maybe we can utilize him further. Hmm. To that end, if that is what he's thinking, is this the reason that Tyrell is allowed to do the next video because he does, in fact, wind up taking the majority of the blame, it seems, for the hack. So is he their fall guy on purpose? Why would they even think it was him, though? I mean, he still has the whole murder thing that they're, the police are looking for him. They right. never, we, he never account, got accounted for that. He never even met with the police, right? Mm-hmm. He just got fired well, from his job. At least not from what oh, we've wait. seen, but we know there's chunks of time that we haven't seen because of Elliot as our narrator for whatever has been going on with Tyrell. Right. But like you say, we see that Joanna has become prominent in the public eye and probably having to do with whatever is going on with Tyrell at this moment. But she's still referred to as Tyrell Wellick's wife. <laughs> Correct. Not, um, her own identity. Yeah. So as interesting as this was, before we get very far with being filled in, they cut back to Elliot's childhood. We see the moment he was pushed out of his bedroom window, for it now seems that is what happened by his father, resulting in a trip to the ER. He has head trauma and a broken arm, but more importantly is the discussion of the debt that his parents are in and how they will pay the hospital bills. This is where Elliot seems to break off and experience his first dissociative episode from what we've seen in childhood. Yeah, you can see him stand, sitting in the doctor's seat and you see that dead stare. So um, I, I think, yeah, it'd be smart to assume that this is where that, that break off in his brain happens. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very trauma mentally. You know, if his, if his father actually did push him out, I'm not... 100% because I didn't see it yet. It mm-hmm. could still be something that happened. And we say that maybe he, it was him because of the way the mother was reacting. Mm-hmm. But the mother also just found out that he had cancer and has got to be pretty mad that he didn't share that also. Absolutely, which is also going to cost the family a lot. And you can see the tension. This probably is not the first discussion that Elliot's heard revolving around the bills that the family has. And it seems to create a lot of stress and a lot of tension for Elliot. And this could be be where he starts internalizing how difficult that plight is Mm. and how he wishes there was something you could do in order to alleviate the stress on the common family that's going through this. Oh, that's a good point. So that could really lead to his thoughts for later on with what he does with the hack. I also thought this was really cool when they went to the brain scan that we're looking at with Elliot, and then that panned over to the front of the marble notebook that he's been writing yeah. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely another artsy Sam Esmail part uh, where they get closer and closer up to the brain where it's just in our brains, in our brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> a pattern that we're looking at. And then they uh, kind of superimpose the pattern of that mead uh, notebook, right notebook. Right. so visually awesome, but also depicting that this is where Elliot is 
putting all of his notes, essentially every thought in his brain mm-hmm. to keep control of his own brain right. uh, into this Mead notebook. Yeah, very cool. So you're seeing his physical brain and his symbolic brain with all the thoughts that are inside the journal. Yeah. This is where we're treated to a glimpse of Elliot's new routine, as he calls it. He eats most meals with his new friend, Leon, who prattles endlessly about Seinfeld, leaving Elliot to his thoughts. Just an interesting note from in there, Leon eventually comes to the point that Seinfeld is actually about nothing, and that it illustrates that life is meaningless, which is the first thing that actually catches Elliot's attention. But anyway, he's trying to be normal, to socialize himself. He's living with his mother in order to get some structure in his life, and he says, better the devil you know than the one you don't. What do you think about what's going on with his mother here? Is this actually his mother? I didn't think about it not being her, but we'd never seen her before, so I didn't know if she was alive or dead in the first season. Yeah, I was taken off guard by that, um, and I cannot answer that question (laughs) right now because you already told me what your theory is, so I'm going to stay. I didn't even recognize that it was his mother at first. I was confused the first scene. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if he was maybe in some type of institution or something. Because it was very blank walls, there was no, there was nothing there. It didn't look like a room that you would live in, you know. Well, this is a great time to bring this up. Our theory about this, and it's a common one. It's out there in the podcast and the discussions about Mr. Robot, and it really seems to fit if you go through step by step. Elliot is not actually in the surroundings. He is proposing to us. He's actually right now in some type of institution or prison setting, some kind of psychiatric hospital in within a prison setting, something like that. This answers a lot of questions for things that don't seem to make sense as you move through his routine, such as, Ryan, what you said when he first wakes up, he's in this room that looks very much like a prison cell, very bare. He doesn't have any sharp objects with which he could hurt himself. All he's provided is a notebook and a pencil, in fact, not even a pen. Right. That's barely, it's very dull. It's not sharpened. Mm-hmm. Very much like what you would get if you were in some type of psychiatric hospital. He goes downstairs, and this almost seems to be a group living room. There's one TV, and it's downstairs in the living room where him and his mother and whoever else can sit and watch. Right. Kind of the way it would be in, say, a group home, mm-hmm. something of that nature. The meals occur at the same time every day like with clockwork the person, with the same people at right. the same seat and i was always wondering like why do they keep going to the same uh restaurant right right and how are they getting the money you can't eat out three times a day yeah i mean he doesn't have a job it is very weird and on top of every single meal being with this guy leon that we don't even yeah. know up until this point uh, the way they're talking and about a sitcom that's kind of older, maybe yes. something you would see if you were in a hospital or a prison and there was just one, one. stupid show running over and That's over right. again in the background. Um, then he goes to the same basketball game every day. Right. Which looks very much like a prison breakyard. Right. The interactions between the individuals there are almost sort of prison-like with people challenging each other. Yeah. And I think the icing on the cake here is when we're introduced to Ray, and I know we're moving way ahead, but when he starts to speak to Elliot, it seems very peculiar to us, him pushing things, Elliot rejecting that, and yet he still doesn't go away. It's very therapist-like. He's trying to gain his friendship and to get him to open up and talk about things. Yeah, and 
also with um, what's his new friend, Leon? Leon. Yeah. Like just getting into, like almost getting into a fight for no reason, then just walking away. Right. We're like, why don't you say to Elliot, I'm out. I'll see you at lunch or dinner. But My, if they're all in yeah. the same cell or same uh, either jail or psychiatric ward, mm-hmm. you would just walk away because you're going to see him. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not really leaving, leaving. Right. Um, and then, yes, when you were talking about, uh, I got to get these names now. Um, Ray. Ray. I was, I was like, yeah, this guy knows his name and he's being kind of pushy but delicate at the same time. And why does he have a dog? Yeah. Well, I mean, if in the, I mean, if he's another, you're, so you're saying Ray is like a therapist? Yes. Okay. And he's trying to get him to open up and Leon's another uh, patient? Yes. Yeah. Um, I just did air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And no one's yeah, talking to him. No, none of his outside crew right. is talking to him. The other thing is, is that if you watch the basketball game, they're yeah. pretty bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a street ball game, I would think that they would be a little better, yeah. For wherever they are, but I did hear that that restaurant that they're at is an actual restaurant, so that they go to, um, in Brooklyn. Well, this would make so. sense though, because the the end of this theory is that Elliot is not where he seems to be, and he's presenting us, the viewer, with the picture that he wants us to see. Okay. Because as we fast forward, Elliot does not trust us anymore. I love that when he was like, I don't trust you. You didn't tell me right. what was going on last season. Oh, I so love that. So whatever role we're playing is the audience, and we have brought this up before. Are we another part of Elliot's psyche, somebody that he turns to, another aspect of his personality? Um, either way... Elliot has always been the unreliable narrator for us, but now we can trust even less what we see. We can't trust the reality that we're presented with because Elliot doesn't trust us. Right. So he's only going to let us see what he wants us to see. So if he's in this institution, he doesn't want to present us with that yet. He's giving us another picture, and to fill in the holes, he might be using things from an ordinary life or from Mm -hmm. his old life. A diner down the street represents the cafeteria now. Um, the prison cell-like room with the warden or the nurse or whoever is watching over and make sure that things happen in an orderly fashion is his mother because that's what she used to represent in his life structure. Um, So it all could play in really, really well. The question is, why does Elliot not want us to know this is where he is? Well, let me raise you, because I think that could be true, but I think there could be another layer to this. Okay. Because we have three layers here. We can't trust and he can't trust us. Right? So mm-hmm. we can't trust Elliot. But also, Elliot can't trust Elliot. So is Elliot depicting these areas for us or for him mm-hmm. to help with him, his own mental fortitude? Or, right. So he might not even be hiding it from us. He might be hiding it from himself. And I think that all hinges on where it is that we find him. So if this is a voluntary putting himself into some type of mental healthcare type of facility, then I believe he's hiding it from us and he's doing it for his own reasons. If it's a prison-like setting where he's been put Mm -hmm. against his will, then perhaps, as you say, it's too difficult to deal with and he's not registering it on that level. Right. Who asked him the, um, why your mother? Yes, this is the therapist, which is what I was going to say next. We find out that this whole routine he's describing is the way he's telling it to Krista, his okay. old therapist. He's lied to her before, though. Exactly. 
So is this some kind of nice story that he's telling the therapist so she'll believe he's okay? And if that's the case, is this because she's his longstanding therapist? Mm -hmm. So, okay, he would get a new one. Let's say if he checked himself into the hospital, he would get a hospital therapist. But if this is something mandated by courts, he might need an old therapist to sign off on his release, a two-doctor thing, where if you're admitted against your will, you need two doctors to sign off on your bill of health to say you're good to go. Somebody that they might bring in is a therapist that he's been seeing for a longer period of time, which, by the way, Krista was a court-mandated psychiatrist for what reason we don't know in his past. So she might be brought in on a one- or two-session basis to evaluate how he's doing and whether or not he's okay. Right, and you say brought in, and I think that is true. And he's just visualizing himself being in her old office on the couch. Uh, There was one thing before we move off of your awesome theory. When Gideon comes in, he's very touchy about, like, He's very adamant about staying quiet or trying to. And then as he gets emotional, he keeps looking back at his quote-unquote mom. Right. And then his mom's like, something going on? Or something like that. And then like, goes back to watching TV. Yeah. Like the nurse or whoever it is that's responsible. Kind of responsible. someone that is responsible, but also like half cares. Right. Because like, is something going on? Uh, I'll just continue watching TV and not even worry you know so and they're talking over this long very plain table with nothing else on it in a room that looks very much like a little conference room where you might get to meet with somebody from the outside in a prison or a hospital or something of that nature so this is awesome but Uh, this is all after the hack ended and you would think that he's in the he, he hasn't been in there the whole time like throughout season one right it's no not, I, no, I no, think no, no. ending season two okay. either he got so upset that he went and checked himself in somewhere like he's losing control he was or, very upset about finding out Mr. Robot was his father and oh, then yeah. that he wasn't there well as well as Darlene and Angie being very upset when we saw the scene in the graveyard and they're like, you're still seeing him. So is this something that's happened in the past when it gets bad enough, they commit him back in Mm -hmm. for a short stay. And Um, also upset that Darlene's his sister and he keeps forgetting and he tried to kiss her. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we'll talk in a little bit about how she has really assumed the main role of F society. She is the leader filling in the hole in Elliot's absence. So if Elliot was still there, we have to think she would be going to him much the way she did in season one, knocking on his door. What's going on? Why aren't you part of this? We just pulled off the biggest hack in history and she's Mm -hmm. leaving him alone and assuming total leadership here. Yeah. And then Um, when that, when that bearded dude was talking to her after she does her speech, Mm -hmm. he's like, have you talked to Elliot? And she's like, uh, no, I haven't yet. Or something like that. Yeah, kind of like what you would bizarrely. say if you had someone in the hospital or jail. Right. Like, yeah, I'll, talk, I'll get to them. Right. Very bizarrely written off for right now in yes. a way that we didn't see, no matter how bad it was getting for him in season one, even with the drug addiction spiraling out of control. Um, they just dealt with it. So what do you think of her theory? Did it blow uh, your mind? Yeah, it's mind. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I like it. But I mean, I, I heard something similar earlier today from okay. the guys at work. And... Um, Fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was just worried that they were that we were going down into a, a whole thing has been a dream sequence thing, no. which I, d- I would not be happy about suck. at all. I would be very angry. Like, didn't you learn from, what was it, Dallas or Falcon Crest when um, one of those guys of went into a, a dream se- where like the whole, oh, Roseanne did also like the whole last oh, season yes, was that's right. a dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, like 
audiences don't appreciate that no. type of. But no, I, I don't think, think we're going down that. Sam Esmail yeah. is way too clever for that. He'll play with it in right. things like I believe what he's doing here. Um, Elliot is somewhere he doesn't seem to be, or there are things happening that we are not privy to because Elliot doesn't know what's going on. But we will get them later, and it will make sense. And I think if he is in some type of hospital setting, that's not going to last very long. I think he will get out soon and we'll get back to what's happening in the world since he's left. I also think it's interesting, going back to his therapist, Krista, she clearly was really upset about the falling out they had last time and does not want to see him. This is very reluctant. So it does appear as though she's been called in to meet with him again against her better judgment. And she is questioning him about the routine. And he's kind of saying, well, isn't this what people do? Don't they just move from one day to the next in a very mindless manner with this routine that they're not really happy with. Mm -hmm. And even she as a therapist is looking at him like, oh, okay, is this really what you see at mental health as being? And like you said before, he has talked to her, we believe, about his father presenting himself as a facet of his personality that comes out from time to time. And I believe the question why your mother indicates why is it her that's coming out now? You know, why are you manifesting her into being in this routine instead of your father? There must be a purpose for that, and you need to look into that more. Yeah, I mean, in the first season, we never really <laughs> hear about the whereabouts of the mother, if she's even alive. It's always yeah, just really a bad uh, situation that he's uh, <laughs> not happy with with his mother and doesn't like her, and uh, she was rough with him at times. Yes, Although, I mean, we assume that, I guess we assume that's the mother. Well, his projection of her anyway, the way he sees her. Well, I'm just thinking more along this line of being mistreated by maybe a, um, like an aide or a mental health counselor uh, or like, you know, one of the nurses at a place mm-hmm. and you see him like them bang the food down. Maybe in, as in childhood too, he had frequented a mental health facility mm-hmm. and that's some another, other person. Uh, yeah personification of that yeah either way like you said this is somebody who partially cares but seems to be mostly about instilling order and structure which he believes he desperately needs right now so we we do see that he has bigger problems elliot he is struggling with mr robot's hold on his psyche the routine has all been in an effort to keep control of his mind but it seems that mr robot is often winning He's withholding information about Tyrell's whereabouts. This is the biggest thing that Elliot wants out of him, that he is basically keeping his hostage until Elliot does what he wants him to do. Sort of. I mean, Elliot's also keeping him from being able to do anything. He, Elliot, won't touch a computer. He doesn't want anything to do with that life anymore. He doesn't have any electronics. Well, he can't if he's in a... Exactly. Yeah. That too, he can if he's there. But if he's stopping himself... I mean, Mr. Robot is asking him why they're there or like he has a choice of getting out. You'd think Mr. Robot would know, see the facade. Oh. Hmm. Maybe, maybe or maybe not. I mean, when does Elliot bring him out? This brings us back to what exactly is happening in Elliot's psyche. So... Elliot seems to be our baseline personality. When you have mental health issues where you are dissociating and you have multiple personalities manifesting themselves, the baseline, like with Elliot, has often experienced some kind of trauma 
in their life. And because of whatever happened that they were not able to deal with in the moment, they have created another personality who is stronger or more capable of taking control in certain types of situations and dealing with it. It seems as though he has brought in Mr. Robot to deal with situations where you need somebody more aggressive, more willing to do the things that Elliot wasn't capable of doing. So what exactly are those moments? When does he bring him out? And are there other personalities? Is it just him? Um, Clearly, when it is him, he is fully taking over and he's losing blocks of time. And this seems to be happening mostly at night. So where Elliot thought that he was keeping control on him by imposing this routine, he's actually just been providing Mr. Robot with a clear window where he can come out and play. Uh, Yeah, that's true. We see that when he sees the gap, when he's reading after he realizes that uh, Mr. Robot talked to Ray. Yeah, and and this is all happening at night. So he sees that from a certain time in the evening till a certain time in the morning, there are no recordings. He has not written anything down, and Mr. Robot has been taking over at those points. We also see that they are struggling with each other. While Elliot is trying to keep Mr. Robot in check, Mr. Robot is trying to seemingly destroy Elliot's part of the personality as we see him shoot him in the head and not for the first time. Yeah, well, first time for us, but not for him. Right. I thought when I first saw that, I was like, first of all, that was beautiful. It was well done. But secondly, in my head, until he shot back up, I was like, oh, we just saw the end of Elliot. Oh, now yeah. it's going to be a show completely with Mr. Robot mm. in control. Oh, yeah. And That's I thought that was going to be the, the major switch right there. Like uh, Fight Club, when uh, Ed Norton got rid of Tyler Durden, he shot himself in the mouth. He was shooting Tyler Durden, but That's he right. shot himself in the head to get rid of him. But mm-hmm. maybe this, like Mr. Robot could win that fight. Yeah. I don't way. think he can, though, because Elliot is the baseline. So the manifested personality can't get rid of the baseline. The baseline is the one who created the Mr. Robot. Right. He is part of him. So it could work in the reverse should Elliot decide eventually that he is able to incorporate those aspects of Mr. Robot, the aggressiveness, the ruthlessness at times, the courage. If he can bring those into the fold back into himself, he can reintegrate into one personality and there will be no Mr. Robot. Unfortunately, I think that what comes with that is accepting the actions Mr. Robot has taken when he's been in control. Mm -hmm. Things that even Elliot himself does not want to be fully aware of. So he is worried, for instance, did I kill Tyrell when I was acting as Mr. Robot? That's why he wants to know so badly. We even get a glimpse of his interactions with Gideon where Mr. Robot wants to kill Gideon. So he's almost taunting him with that. (laughs) Like, you don't even know the things I've done when I've been Mr. Robot and you're not ready to know about them. Not just that, he's, he's... torturing him basically by you know he can he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants and Elliot doesn't know if it's real or not so it can really mess his mind up he sees Gideon's throat get slashed and he doesn't know if he's actually doing that to him or if Mr. Robot is doing that and and messing with him it's incredible amazingly complex what Esmail is looking at within the human psyche here I just wanted to bring up one more thing about uh, his new routine. Mm. Like uh, in that one scene, you you see, I thought it was really cool. You see him, Elliot, moving around the room, writing in his notebook. Mm-hmm. And then when Mr. Robot comes, 
you see when we see Mr. Robot for the first time, he takes his notebook, snatches it out of his hand, and throws it across the room. And I'm like, is that why Elliot's moving around the room all the time? Because Mr. Robot is constantly taking his notebook and throwing it oh. away from him. So mm-hmm. he's got to constantly go get it and then start writing again. I thought <laughs> I it was a really cool way to do that. Huh. And why are we even seeing him in the room in the first place? So if this is Elliot bringing this personality out at times where he needs him, why is he there right now? You know, Elliot has more control than he thinks he does. And I think that it's going to get more and more complex with the two of them showing down over the course of the season. Well, do you think he had more control? He had more control in the first season, I think, even though he would see him when he was there and interact with other people in the room like he was in the background. Well, he was accepting that persona and what he stood for when he wasn't fully aware that it was part of him. Right. When he becomes fully aware that this is actually part of who he is, he's less okay with it. Right. He's less able to take ownership over the things that Mr. Robot has done and what he stands for. So now he's fighting against him. Right. And we see less of the... I mean, he knows now, too, actively, that he's not actually there. He and he still accepts him like he's a real person, but he knows when he's talking with other people that they can't hear him now. Mm-hmm. Like, in the first season, he, could, he told him how to tear apart the guy in, was it Iron Mountain? Mm-hmm. Remember, he talks to, oh, I forget his name. But he basically makes him feel so small just yes. so he can get to that next level of security. He, tra- he makes him leave. Yep. So, and that's Mr. Robot telling him in his head that he's got to do this. He's got to tear him down because mm-hmm. they need to get around this obstacle. Right. But now it's not, it's just either Elliot's in control or, and he knows what's going on, or Mr. Robot's in control and he, has no memory of anything that has happened. Right. right. I think right now with Elliot, again, corresponding with uh, what you're thinking is going on, mm-hmm. I think that he has checked himself in because it's, se- it's very evident that he's trying to get better. He's right. writing in his notebook. He wants to get normal. He wants to get um, in this regular regimented routine to stay normal. And... I think what Mr. Robot's trying to have him do right now is check himself out. Right. So you that's think what he's the whole take, fight is. Mr. Robot is taking over and acting the way you, a sane person would act to try to convince his psychiatrist? No. Of, no, no. I no, think no. what's no. happening is that he's on medication right now as part of this program. That's what I was wondering. Like, so it, it doesn't seem like he is because Mr. Robot's still there. Is it just too, And he doesn't... Elliot doesn't seem... Well, he doesn't really seem out. Of, I guess doped. he in the. He always looks doped, That's right? Why. <laughs> I but guess he so. is going along with things in a way that even the prior Elliot as baseline doesn't really seem like he would. And it would take time for these medications to really kick in. And I think that throughout the day, while they're active and while he's part of the program and whatever else, you're not seeing as much of Mr. Robot. But when he goes to sleep, when his conscious At mind night, goes to right. sleep, That's now he, Mr. Robot's able to take over. And I think he's engaging in some shady dealings to try to get this thing back up and rolling. So to- if that's true, do you believe 100% like what Ray is talking about? Is, he, is Ray trying to do something shady also? Because it seemed like that's what he was getting at. He's asking him about doing some kind of hacking or whatever. He's asking Elliot to do that. 
Now, is he asking that? Is he, if he's a psychiatrist, is this, he is that what's going on? And then Mister Robot sees that, and he's like, "I've got an opportunity here to exploit this, try to get out. If I can work out this deal, I'll do this stuff for him, as long as." Well, that could be, or this could be the therapist's awareness of what's happening with Elliot and him trying to get Elliot to confront it and to, mm. to integrate these parts of his personality into one. Um, so you have to start out by approaching them separately right. and gradually introducing the idea of why they're created and then bringing them to a place where they can come back together. So he might be in it for very different reasons than Mr. Robot is in it, is what right. I'm saying. Okay, so we see that there are other things going on in the meantime. The F Society group has been continuing to operate with Darlene at the head. They start off with a small venture to cut the balls off the bull in the financial mm -hmm. district. Yeah. So this was funny just obviously as an obvious point of symbolism for what's happening there. Definitely. But we also see that they have bigger goals. They go to hack the smart house of Susan Jacobs. As we mentioned before, she's the general counsel. She has gotten people off the hook in many lawsuits, so they call her the executioner. What do we think about what they have done here to hack the house? It was pretty amazing, the sequence of events. It was amazing, and it made me think about the fact that with everything going smart, right. you could your whole life, even her water, right. the temperature was yeah. uh, hacked Too into. Too hot, yeah. She had no Music, control movies, of nothing. anything. I was just thinking that that, it wouldn't work like that for, I mean, there's, unless, I mean, they had the heat running into the, the cold line, but that was just my, uh, that, that, that wouldn't work initially that you wouldn't be able to the water it, part. Yeah. I mean, you could, I guess you could make it hotter in the boiler and that would be temperature controlled. Yeah. Well, we saw that her whole house, it has a hookup, like nothing we've seen before. Everything's right. on that, that pad looks like an iPad. Well, yeah, and obviously it can't be completely fixed because even the people that would help with this, there's so much chaos going on in yeah. the world right now that everybody has their own shit to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny. She has, she's clearly a person prior to this who operates very dependently on her routine, doing mm. the same things every day at the same time. And when that's messed with, she doesn't know how to function. It very effectively right. kicks her out of her house, throws her off. We see she's late for throughout meeting. the rest of the episode, right? She can't get herself back on track. She's late for the meeting. She's flustered. Oh, my goodness, people that have to drive in traffic, how do they get anywhere? Um, really helpless. And I was just surprised that she left the house, like, blasting with music. I was like, just go to the circuit breaker. Just kill the power to the house. I don't understand why. Well, she doesn't know what walls. to do. Yeah. yeah. And the video that kept playing, I couldn't get a... I wanted to really hear what he was saying. Because mm. guaranteed, he's saying something right. that is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. But I couldn't get it. I couldn't hear it. Clue. Yeah, hint. Exactly. Well, she finally leaves and we find out that this is where Darlene and the hackers want to set up their new base of operations, at least for a little while, and that Darlene has become the social crusader and leader of the group. We see that destroying the debt record seemed to have made things worse rather than better in the world right now. This is what we talked about last season in our episode reviews, having no plan for what comes next and trying to deal with the fallout. And... That's where they start to set a new hack in motion, demanding $5.9 from E-Corp. So 
Susan cash. Jacobs yeah. has a meeting with Philip Price and the new CTO, Scott Knowles, to explain that everything's going to be down for five days, creating right. more havoc and what should they do? Should they play into the ransom or not? Yeah, this is a ransomware software that they, they used, right? Yes. Yeah, and ultimately they decide to do it. Philip Price agreeing, I'm sorry, Scott Knowles agreeing to be the one to take the money because that was part of the demands that one of them go. Right. What do you think? I think I agreed with them. They needed to get things running smoothly and not have any more, from their point of view, not yeah. have any more bumps in the road, not have anyone really know that anything was happening, and which really ended up blowing up in their face. Yeah. They, they wanted to keep this quiet and deal with it. Well, $5.9 million isn't much to them, but I kept thinking... If they did it once, they can do it over and over and over right. again. <laughs> well, that's the problem with giving in to people who are demanding ransom. And if you don't report it, if you keep things quiet, how do you know where it's going to end? And they could just keep extorting them now. It was great to see that uh, Mobley is like their IT help desk in Evil Corp. Yeah. You know, he's mm-hmm. the one who put the, the USB on and then, or just left the USB somewhere and then someone else put it in. Um, you know, I thought it was. Uh, a very cool way of doing that. Although I think that any uh, corporation would have USB uh, auto running software turned off because uh, mm-hmm. that's the, basically what she was hacking into the auto run INF file. Right. And uh, having the virus run through that. You so. would think. Well, here we get our intermission before we move into part two. And this opens us up with Scott Knowles making the money drop. As Take Me Home plays in the background, he gets a package from the messenger with a mask and instructions telling him to burn the money in front of the crowd. I thought his acting here was amazing. His acting and the cinematography was beautiful. Very I had artsy. no idea what they were talking about. Like, did I miss something? Like, uh, follow the instructions? I'm like, I didn't see anything. And then, then when they reveal, I'm like, ugh, that's <laughs> awesome. Written on the back and yeah. you can see his face. As she's telling him he has, what, like 90 seconds yeah, no, to do this? No, it was 10 seconds. I'm like, 10 seconds, seconds is not enough time to do anything. Right. I don't understand what you can do. Because she doesn't want him to do. think. If right. you have to think about it for longer right. than that, you're burning $5.9 million. Right. And he you're wearing the mask. Right. Why would you pull it off? I wouldn't pull that mask off because oh, everyone's taking left. film of yeah. it so they know who's burning it now. Right. If he didn't take his mask off, it would have just been a film of someone in an F Society mask burning money. money. Wow. And not associating it directly yeah, to well, the Yeah, well, he... This is his life. This is what he is ruled by, what he lives for. Right. And he just had to willingly do this, and I don't think he can help himself. And they probably knew that. Or, I mean, someone could have been filming before and at least seen him put it on. It would have more than likely got yeah. out who who it was even without him pulling it off but you're right it was it was silly of him he should have just burned it and ran yeah. out of there as fast as he could not exactly. be associated with the scene exactly and the crowd stands around in amazement at the same time the obvious symbolism here is that since we've gotten off the gold standard physical money doesn't matter anymore it is just paper so you could just burn it right that's true But what will F Society propose in its place if this is what we're doing and we're going to do away with the debt and the credit card, the money borrowing system, which goes all the way up to our paper money, which essentially has nothing to back it? What are they proposing to replace that with? 
Bitcoin. You know, I mean, this is just going to throw everybody into complete chaos and there will be no order and no function. And is that the point of the group? Anarchy? Really? I mean, you know, they need to figure out what do they want to do next. Yeah, I don't think they really thought through the cause and effect. And we're kind of seeing it. They're not really showing it too much, but people need cash right now. You have to shop with cash. Mm -hmm. There's no credit card machines, it seems, or working credit card machines. But not just the people that were in debt, being saved. That's what their intentions were. And we did discuss this last season with the right. dogs being let go. Mm-hmm. And like, th- would these dogs be able to survive? There's also the people, and we see this in one of the banks, who just finished paying off their mortgage. Right. And that, those records are gone. How horrible is that? They don't know who's paid and who hasn't. Exactly. Right. So I don't think, as a whole, they're doing that much good for the people. Well, and even I was thinking down to getting of the cash. If the bank doesn't have records of who had what in the bank, then they can't give out any money. So wouldn't everybody just be walking around with zero money and how Mm -hmm. do they live? And if they're talking, which we'll we'll look at later about how long it's going to take to get some of this stuff back up and running, they need a plan because it's a lot longer than most people could survive walking around with twenty dollars in right. their wallets. I never have cash on me anymore. I yeah, we actually pay. talked and, about that too. And uh, like, oh, now uh, now at work we use uh, Cash App a lot. It's so fast to just transfer money to each other. Like when we're getting lunch. Oh, it's I've just never seen on, it. it's just on the phone, and you basically it's like you message <laughs> like fifteen dollars, and you set up your your debit card to it, mm-hmm. and it, it's instantaneously in your account. Who's the mediator of that? What, what company? Mean? Oh, um, I'd have to look it up. So someone has access to your... Dude, F-Society could just fucking fast cash your they whole bank totally account. Do it, but it's so convenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, and essentially what we do see here is the banks and everybody else trying to put the pause button on. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't figure it out right now. We don't know what you've paid, what people owe. So everything's just going to shut down, which is all fine and good and probably the best move until they do get things figured out but like we said for the average person i'm sure they're going to start showing the effects soon of how do they get by it's going to set uh the depression in in motion and we actually see them debating that in that meeting with the bigwigs where he's like it's all about perception if we say uh what was who did he say roosevelt said uh we're having a bank holiday, so we're closing all banks. And then he slowly rolled them back out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it looked like they were in control. Exactly. Yeah, Philip FDR. Price meets yeah. with these government officials that we were discussing before, the three most powerful people when it comes to financial officers in the government. And he brings up FDR's New Deal, which is exactly what we were talking about. And he makes it sound like one of the greatest hoaxes ever perpetrated by the government um, because they were describing it in such a way and with such a confidence that people bought into it. You know, they're just going to close and slowly reopen, but everything's okay. We have a handle on it. And that's the difference between what's happening there and what's happening now because the public knows very well that they don't have it under control. And mm. there will be mass panic soon if they can't regain that control. So while it seems like a good thing in the short term for the people, I think that's going to start building up soon. We talk about how I think Angela is, uh, not Angela, I'm sorry, Darlene. I feel like she's losing it. She is very not capable of being the leader of this group. Well, she was never the leader of this group. It was always Mr. Robot as Elliot or Elliot as Mr. Robot. And uh, 
they basically she doesn't know where to go now. It was not her plan to begin with, even though they had discussed it uh, before. When when he does try to kiss her, they said, "This is what we've always dreamed of. This is what we've been planning." Right. But I really feel like Elliot was always the lead, obviously always the lead with that with Mister Robat. Yeah, it's like she Apple was without second. Steve Jobs. <laughs> she was the second, and we see that that idea being brought up towards the end of season one with you know, Elliot questioning her, is this the right thing to do and what comes next? And she's having this end of the world party and celebrating what they've done while he is going over the repercussions of, uh, was this the right thing to do and what is the plan? So now that she is the head person, I think she's really grappling with those things. And we see her meeting with the group and freaking out about the cell phone and information getting out and then really starting to crack down. This is right. what we have to do. You go there, you do this. And um, how long will she be able to maintain that, really? We also get a brief glimpse of Joanna and what's yeah. going on with her. She's found a, a new nice sex toy. It was, it was a very nice glimpse. What do you mean? <laughs> in, the, in the episode. She, of her I had in bondage. Really, yeah. Oh, that's right, that yes. great. But I don't know. I didn't know that they could come that close to showing everything. I know, right? <laughs> well, it, it's funny. This actually, this episode was the first one to garner a TV MA rating for the Mr. Robot series. They it was said not fuck four previously. Times. And you saw a bare man ass. Hmm. I thought I was I watching Game of Thrones. Well, apparently, this guy is not living up to Tyrell's standards of bondage. She is very unhappy with the way he's dealing with it. And she does still have Tyrell's old security force watching over her. We see that towards the end of the scene. See, I didn't know that that... I wasn't sure that that was his own security. I I thought it was just Evil Corp uh, in general. I think this uh, is his private security. Yeah. Yeah, and they're watching her now. And the next scene is a gift being left on her doorstop, which is a music box that turns out to contain a cell phone on the other side. Well, before... Don't you think that's a lot, though, for Tyrell? Why does he need that much security? He wasn't even the CTO of the company or anything like that. And even a CTO, I don't think, would need a detail like that. That's something that I think you would need if you're a politician or something. There's got to be something else going on. Maybe she is someone in from Sweden or wherever they're actually from. Where yeah, could be somebody from a much wealthier or even bigger royalty, family herself. Something like yeah. that. Maybe. That could but she be, wouldn't or be he's, referred to as Tyrell Wellick's wife. working for a company that is very disliked and, right. and being somebody higher up, and maybe he's just paranoid and he hired this for himself. I don't know if they were very disliked, though. If they're, It's like, well, I mean, it's like Visa or MasterCard. I mean, you use them. I mean, I don't know if I would dislike that company in general. It's just who I use for my credit card. Yeah, which is why I think he might have personally hired these people and not the company. His own fears and paranoia about that, which I could kind of see with him, um, along with, you know, the crime that we saw him commit in last season. Right. He's probably really on guard now, and they have a new child, and, you know, maybe he just got more and more worried about what would happen to them. Or maybe she hired them. Uh, Okay, elephant in the room. I'm just going to, I'm going to overstep Okay. Okay. Is he alive? Oh, uh, Tyrell? Yeah. Um, I think so. Me too. I think he's alive. Well, we're being led to believe that. So the whole purpose of this cell phone was somebody important calling um, in a way that seems to be anonymous because they can't communicate any other way. They don't want a trail left. 
So was it Elliot or Tyrell whose call she missed? Oh, on the cell phone? Uh, yeah. Because Elliot also gets a call from who we believe is Tyrell at the right. end I mean, of the episode. That's, it was a pretty big tell. He says, bonsoir, Elliot. I mean, that's how he, he spoke. He said that before to him. Now, I mean, is could Elliot be manifesting him in his mind the also? Wife. The right. wife might be saying that too to him. But it sounded like... Well, but in his head, I don't know. I'm good. I think he's alive, so I think that is him. Right. I think he's alive, but I question if it's him or Elliot that was calling her. Like, how in okay, on what's seen. going on with Tyrell is Elliot, and if he's being hidden for his own safety, um, or has he been captured? You know, if he's the person to blame, we talked a little bit about White Rose and them figuring out at the end of last season, putting the blame on somebody that we thought was Elliot, but clearly here is Tyrell, mm -hmm. and they were going to deal with that person the way they normally do, so do they have some type of hold on him? And that's why we don't see him now. They're keeping him somewhere. Um, it does sound very lighthearted, his greeting, but I don't think we've seen enough to be sure yet. What's the significance of the music box? Right. Because I... There's no way Esmail would just say, let's do a music box. There's got to be a reason for that. Right. And the song, and where, and then the cell phone, she knew. Or maybe was it just not even? Because she knew to turn it over right away, it seemed like. Oh, yeah. Well, right down to somebody wrote, and, and I can't remember, I'm sorry to give them credit, one of the reviews, that when she tears the red ribbon off the box and throws it to the floor, it looks very much like blood, and is that symbolic of blood that will be shed in the future? by or against Joanna. Or it's the, I mean, also Red Ribbon is what she gets tied up in, right? Oh, Ooh, that's right. Is it red? I never looked. I think so. That could be interesting. Uh, also, though, I mean, when Mr. Robot came out um, last year, the first episode, they talk about, uh, like, people controlling things in the background. And you think that Tyrell is one of these people, but it, more and more, as we got to know them, seemed it was less of him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, at the end of the first season, you see that it's White Rose, and there's, and it, well, it's not White Rose, but he's involved in some kind of society that has an ulterior motive controlling these things. So yeah. even above E Corp itself, you know? So that's definitely, that's something I think is going to, come more into fray as we go further into Mr. Ola. And it may not even happen this season. I think he was, he's going for, was it five season? Like a five act play? Uh, oh, something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, next we're introduced to Dominique DiPiero, who you might recognize from the newsroom and American horror story. This actress, she is one of the FBI agents investigating Gideon. Although we're unsure how this will play out now, given what happens with Gideon later. Do you take any other significance from meeting this woman here? Is this the scene in the bodega? In the bodega, followed by her in some kind of FBI office. Right. Well, the scene in the bodega, there's something about the, the how talkative she is. Mm. Right. So Manic, almost. Yes. So there's something that's going to come into play about her personality, and they're showing it blatantly there. Mm-hmm. Constant. She she wouldn't even let him answer. She just went from one thing to the other. Right. Um, and then also a fun fact about that. There's I, I tried to get the name and I couldn't, so I apologize for this. But there was a cameo in that scene. There's a guy in line behind her, and they show him blatantly for a good 
five, right. six he, seconds. We just watched it again, and he says something like, uh, hey, can you hurry up? Like, yeah. I'm trying to get food, too. Exactly. And she's like, oh. We're all waiting here. an asshole or something. Uh, he is the guy that uh, we, in real life, are considering to be the founder of Anonymous. That's very right. cool. And Who Anonymous is, is like... F is F Society, but in the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't taken down the banks or anything. <laughs> right. Probably because they're, they're smarter than that. But they have, they, it's a non hierarchical hacktivist collection. And they've hacked uh, people that are, I mean, they've hacked powerful people. They've hacked people that are like uh, being accused of sex trafficking or, or most child you know yeah most recently uh, or at least uh one of the bigger things is after um not the recent france attack but the uh one last year was it or yeah earlier in the year i can't remember exactly when it was not the uh the shooting where they they went into a bunch of different places in the shooting uh, anonymous decided to start hacking in and dis- and disabling their Twitter accounts and That's right. trying to report them. And they even sent out a whole manual on how you could help out and what you could do to look up these fake accounts, like these accounts that they could be using. The ISIS. Yeah, ISIS yeah. accounts. So they, attack- they had attacks on the uh, Church of Scientology, Visa, PayPal, and others who withdrew their services from WikiLeaks, the Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. Um, Westboro Baptist Church. So definitely look them up. They're the real world F Society. Right. And uh, I'll have a little treat at the end of this episode. So don't uh, turn it off. I'm going to have an actual video from Anonymous that they sent out. And it's pretty cool. It's about society. And it's it's a good parallel with Mr. Robot. So that's cool. A little little wink wink again. That was also the scene where you see the uh, In Touch magazine we're talking about at the end of that scene. It's oh, just okay. in the background, uh, like uh, they do a shot where they just show. It's actually not in the background; it's in the foreground. But uh, the what's her name? The new DPR. Dominique, yeah, DPRO. DPRO. She's uh, she's in the background still, but it's just off to the side. You see that uh, Tyrell Wellick's wife is new fashion or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and this moves very quickly over into Gideon, which can bring us into discussing the interaction that Gideon has with Elliot eventually, where he threatens to report Elliot's suspicious behavior at all safe to the FBI. Right. So it seems like he's been put on this by the FBI to go confront him. But initially he's kind of looking for his help. Can we make this right? And it's not going so well getting to the point where Gideon is trying to strong arm Elliot. Yeah. And really not working out very well. Well, I mean... I thought that I thought that happened and I thought he talked to Elliot already and then we see DiPietro talk to him. Oh well either way though, we, we get the impression, right, that he's been communicating with right. the FBI, right. Gideon, yeah. that he's Well he says being that he's pushed. got he tells Elliot that he's got no choice about what to do. He, it's like he knows things about Elliot. Right. That uh that they need to that he need that Elliot needs to step up. Right. And tell him, uh, tell them what he knows because Gideon's life is on the line here. And interestingly, we get the, the back commentary from Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. like this bravado is false and he, he really doesn't have it. And, you know, of course, the moments where it appears as though he is going to actually kill right. Gideon. But, but he does know too much about he is a threat to Elliot and Mr. Robot. Yes. You know, with the knowledge that he oh, has. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, it's, it's weird because you feel that Elliot really likes him. And we knew that last season. Yeah. I really like bad. Gideon. Gideon. Gideon's, Gideon's cool. a really nice character. He's yeah. a good guy. He's got like these. Mor- he's got morals, but uh, as we know from Game of Thrones, sometimes the morals don't really. First people save you. to go, yeah. the ones yeah. that are too his black or white. Fucked. He lost his uh, husband. He lost his company. His company, and um, but when he's talking, Gideon's getting upset. I feel like he should have seen that. Elliot looks pretty obvious that he's having like a little psychotic break at that moment. Maybe now is not the best time to talk to him. I think he thinks initially the response he's getting from Elliot is fear. And that as he's telling him, I can bring up these things that Elliot's kind of backing down because at one point he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them. And, And Mr. Robot's like, yeah, see now. This is what smaller animals do when they feel threatened. They start to puff up and try to make themselves bigger. And basically, you've got him. He doesn't got you. Don't worry about this guy. But yeah, you know, we might as well just deal with him. Let's just take him out of the equation, right? And Elliot obviously does not want to do this and is very afraid of what's going to actually happen to Gideon. But manages to kind of avoid the situation for now and Gideon leaves. However, we do wonder where this is going to go because like we said in a later scene, Gideon is shot in the neck in a bar by a man named Brock, an activist. See, I thought that this is what Elliot was talking to Ray about if he's not in a psychiatric institute or whatever. Okay. Uh, I I thought that this is him setting this up. This is, he's going to do some kind of you know, hack work or whatever. He's going to do something uh, for Ray, and this is Ray's going to get a guy to take Gideon out. And this is what. Hired Brock. Yeah. yeah. See, I like the storyline more of showing what the effect of everything on the normal people is. Right. Mm. And it's more of just the humans around Elliot's little world going bananas. Right. Losing money, losing their minds. Yeah, and, people and have heard about him. Gideon and his involvement in this thing. And the guy says, this is for our country or this is for America. Like you said, yeah, like he really hero. is yeah. just kind of like crazy. Yeah. And he's the guy on the list. It's just Arya with the many-faced god face on. <laughs> <and> <laughs> oh, sorry. He's the next one. Got to balance the scales. Well, really cool. We have two more scenes to talk about, and I think they're big ones. The next one, we finally move over to seeing Angie. And we've been wondering, we left off a little bit weird with her last season of her joining E-Corp and I don't understand seeming to move over too quickly right. into she's taking really that job. She's really Kool-Aid or yeah. something. Or she, it's, she's getting on the inside and she's working with them. But it seemed like she didn't know anything about what, what Elliot was doing or what he had been up to with F Society. Right. And last season when she took the job, we were theorizing that she was taking it to bring it down from within. And that would be the easier way to go. But when we see her this season, she seems to have become a shark, very cold and calculating. This doesn't really look like an act with the game of chicken that she's playing with the booking. However, then we see her later on going through these affirmations and it's almost like she is trying to brainwash herself into being this Mm. persona that we see during the day even the scene with the lawyer is her like uh she's she's like shutting her down very quickly she doesn't because she can't really explain why her shift 
Antara. In uh, in how, how her mood, how her feelings about this place have changed. And uh, so maybe after the whole Elliot episode in the cemetery, Darlene needed to confide in someone else. She needed support from mm-hmm. her best childhood friend or her and Elliot's best childhood friend. And, uh, you know, maybe she's talked her into moving, trying to move up the ranks in. Yeah. And I think this was something Angie was considering anyway, seeing that the lawsuit from the outside probably was not going to go anywhere, the wrongful death thing, and that the way to beat them was to get in on the inside and to move up quicker and be able to take them down that way. So the question is, how much is she participating with Angie and F Society about this? You must think that this is part of their plan as well. And thus, she needs to be good at it. She needs right. to act the part when she's there. But she's doing it very convincingly. Right. From somebody we saw last season all dressed in white, acting very timid, not even able to stand up for herself at a meeting with an all-safe, she is now somebody very ruthlessly responding to the situations as they come at her. So I think she was all dressed in white here too, though, right? Oh, was she? Yeah. Well, she's That's got a white, a white blouse blouse on because that might indicate that she's still there underneath right. the facade yeah so the white is under maybe she's got a black skirt on but a white uh, hmm. blouse. so will she be the anti-hero to go up against elliot or is she part of the plan here to take down e-corp we have to see moving forward i That's really something. don't know i have no idea i don't even know where her storyline's going this is something that i'm very intrigued and i'm excited to find out where this leads I could see it going either way. I don't think she's done a complete 180 in the time that we've seen her, given the fact that everything bad had already happened to her, and she was still maintaining that innate goodness last season, and Elliot shunned her from participating in that. But other than that, you didn't really see like a breaking point for her to to say, I'm going over to the dark side. So I doubt that that's what's happened here. Um, It seems more likely that she is getting on the inside in order to take them down. But it's just, like I said, a question of how much is she collaborating with Elliot and will she go up against him unwittingly with her own plans that she's trying to carry out? Well, we don't even know what Elliot's plan or uh, Mr. Or, Ro- we got to say or, Mr. Robot's plan. Or Angie at this point. I mean, right. we just don't know. And they got, I mean, their team went from very tight-knit group of smart fuckers mm-hmm. to these... Not really. T- I mean, not... Like just in I mean, their capability oh, to uh, to complete stuff, but not like they were never friends. No, or at they least Mr. Poison. Robot was never friends with their yeah. operation. I misspoke. Was... I meant like Titan numbers. Yeah. And now they Angie's got this group of people that are so dumb. They're taking selfies with the balls in their hands. Oh yeah. You know, and so it's that more could like mob quickly, group mentality yeah. than. And these people don't even know the real reason of behind What's F going society. On. It's just yeah. it's, it's a of, fad now. Yeah. So. Not even that she's losing control of herself or of, of what the idea is. She, I don't think you can gain control of these it's hooligans. It's bigger than them. No, yeah. yeah it's it, the, the second they initiated this, it's now bigger than them. And they need to figure out what to do with that because they're not going to get it back under control. No, not with those peeps. And our last scene is just as poignant when we go back over to Elliot figuring out the influence Mr. Robot's had while he's asleep. And Elliot seeming to have a complete breakdown. (laughs) 
What's so funny? We started a movement. We were meant to lead it. Now get back on a terminal now. Give me what I want. Or keep shooting me. Tell me where Tyrell is. Or shoot me again. Because the only one who's going to drive mad is you. Not me. Oh my goodness, that was a crazy... Yeah. He uh. is addressing Mr. Robot and he just starts laughing hysterically. And I think the impact of this is so great because we don't see any emotion on Elliot's face the majority of the time. He doesn't laugh, he doesn't smile. And so to have this moment where first he's laughing and then it gets hysterical, then he's almost crying... It's it's a really amazing that you're like wow yeah. he's lost it yeah mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how to read that because we would leave the scenes when they're discussing well, when they're talking to each other and you would say well uh, I think Mr Robot's got the upper hand right now mm-hmm. this one Mr Robot's left standing there with the blank look like what the fuck just happened yeah where he didn't have control and I don't know how to read into this mental break where he's like laughing and getting all weird. What does this mean? Does this mean that he finally has power or that he's giving up or that he got an idea? Or that he's psyching Mr. Robot out or, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. know. What, uh, I don't remember what, you know, Mr. Robot said to him before, like what provoked this reaction? I'm trying that's, to remember. Well, that's, I think that's the scene when he realizes that there's a space in he his He read the journal. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it, and he's still continuing to question Mr. Robot. <clears throat> um this is when he realized that his routine wasn't really working. Right. right. Things are still happening without his knowledge. Yeah, and he's still grilling Mr. Robot about Tyrell's whereabouts, and he won't give him the information. And at the conclusion of the crazy episode that he's having here, him and Mr. Robot have a few words. You know, Mr. Robot's telling him that we started this thing together, and we have to continue to lead it, and you know, that he is the one that people see. Mm, He's right. the face on it. And Elliot's trying to tell him that he is nothing, basically. That that Elliot's the one in control. He's trying to reassert the control here, basically, and get it back to they do what Elliot wants to do. Yeah, he's just... It seems like Elliot is just laughing at Mr. Robot at that point. It's trippy. Uh, and the music, we didn't even point out the music. Um, it's It's... The typical iRobot, and I don't mean typical as in lame, the awesome, like, right, yeah, really intense. And we we discussed the best one, which was uh, episode 10. If you go back into that, listen to that podcast, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, so then we have our other scenes with the other characters, but when we go back to Elliot for the, the last scene, he seems to have another dissociative episode when he's in one of his meetings clearly exhausted and um, looks like he breaks off and when he comes back to he is on the phone and greeted by Tyrell on the other end we think Tyrell 
We yeah. Think. Right. <laughs> Bonsoir, Elliot. So that's it. That's the end of our episode one, part one, and part two on Mask. Oh, wait. Uh, one more thing. You noticed at the end, uh, the very end, Esmiel has his own like production company. Okay. And it's uh, it's like the last card, like after the credits, and it's uh, Esmiel Corp. No, I, like was really I didn't cool. see it. Yeah. I love that. Well, t- talking about general things, people are commenting about Esmiel has been sort of very subtle up until now throughout season one. I mean, we did have that speech that Mr. Robot gave at the end of season one that was a little heavy on the viewpoint seemingly very meta of Esmail communicating what he wanted to about society and the way things were. So they were a little bit kind of like, ah, oh, that was a little too much. And there were points in this episode too where they felt the message was being hammered home too hard hmm. and, and that it, it was no longer as subtle that he was just putting in speeches in certain points so that he could tell you, like, if you didn't get it, this is my message of what you're supposed to be. Here and here. That's what people are complaining about? Well, just a note about this episode, that it, it stood out a little more at certain points. Yeah, but let's... let's Maybe it did, but let's not forget that it's been a year since we've watched Mr. Right. Robot, and this is episode one, so he's trying to catch people up, mm-hmm. get them back in the mind frame, and kind of jolt them, jolt their hearts back into Mr. Robot mode. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even attract people that didn't see season one, which yeah. I think you... I don't really think that you can jump into this kind of show. This show in, in season, season two. two. Right. No. But uh but you know, you've got to at least try to be able to make it accessible to new viewers. Yeah. So I didn't see that at all. And uh those people can go <laughs> fucking Well, I mean I, I see what they're saying. You know, it it's only fun if this meta commentary is meta. Right. If it starts to get very in your face, this is the message of why we're giving you this show. It's not just entertainment. We have a point that we want to get across about society okay. and the way things are. Then it starts to get a little bit challenging. Um, this is something that they do very well, I think, on Orange is the New Black, where this they are giving awesome. you meta- messages mm-hmm. in a meta way about very real things that are happening. But you don't feel like you're beat over the head with mm-hmm. it, at least most of the time. It's happening this in a way that's, that's that. very like. subtle. With the system in orange. Mm-hmm. So mo meta, mo beta. That's what you're saying? <laughs> no meta. Well, I don't know. Uh, back back to the uh, SML Corp. You just showed me the logo. Mm-hmm. That's the E Corp E, too. Yeah, sort of. I mean, it's a little different. A like, little it's bit. It's just red-like lines, but it's tilted also. It doesn't and, have... Yeah, that's cool, cool, man. Dig it. <laughs> there were a couple of really cool quotes from this episode that we didn't discuss as we were going through it. One is from Elliot. Um, Earlier on, he says, how do I take a mask off when it stops being a mask, when it's as much a part of me as I am? And later he says, this is why I'm different. Sometimes my mask takes over, which is key from him. From Ray, we get maybe truth doesn't even exist. Maybe what we have is all we've got. And from Leon, I tell you, the human condition is a straight up tragedy. So there's those meta messages mixed (laughs) in. Ray also talks about masks, about people wearing their masks, I think so, in, in the basketball scene. I think that's one of them, or maybe, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, well, the episode title is Unmasked, so right. I'm sure it comes up quite <laughs> yeah. a few times yeah. in different ways. Okay, as far as how it's being received, like we said on IMDb, it got an 8.8 and a 9 
Respectively, they were grouped into part one and part two and rated separately. So they like part two better. Um, yes. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter was 98%. And nice. the audience meter was 95%. Isn't that low for uh, Mr. Robot? <laughs> That's pretty damn good. <laughs> That's really good. Game of Thrones, I don't know uh, if you heard those episodes. The they got episode, two, yeah. two episodes oh, in one season, two. 10. That's the first show to ever do so. That's yeah. amazing. Two. Those, those episodes were really good, though. Yeah. <laughs> the consensus was, quote, unique storytelling, a darker tone and challenging opportunities for its tight cast to push Mr. Robot even further into uncharted television territory. I like that. So let's yeah. talk about our ratings. What do you give episode one? So for Game of Thrones, we have Raven ratings. For this one, you want to go robot ratings? Why not? Or bot ratings? And I think Ryan's going to go with his own every time. <laughs> this is cool. Uh, um, I'll start. Robot rating, nine. It jolted me back into it. I for, I almost like I knew that I love Mr. Robot, and we were finishing up Game of Thrones, and I was very upset. And I was like, "Yeah, we do have Mr. Robot." But then when I started watching it again, I was like, "Yeah, we do have Mr. Robot." Like I forgot <laughs> how awesome it was. So nine, perfect, threw me right back in. I give it a nine as well. I think that I'm not sure how I felt about the two sort of episodes being jammed into one. I feel one part one would have suffered a lot without part two. Um, but it would have been very much set up the way that episode ones of new seasons normally are. I felt like combining two into it almost made it too much to the point that by the time the episode was over, you were like, oh my goodness, my brain is going to explode. What did they just give us? <laughs> I can't even process all of that. Um, but it also made it exciting because they're doing things in a way that other TV shows aren't, and they're very famous for that. So... I liked it a lot, and I thought that Rami Malek, as ever, his performance was just amazing, and the psychological moments going on with him were the most interesting part to me. And you just uh, reminded me, this episode, or these two episodes, was uh, released in a limited commercial break. Oh. Yes. So what I complained about a lot last season was commercials throwing you out of it. I don't know if you remember me bitching about that. Not really. Um, I never watched it like that. So I was always watching, uh, I think I was watching, watching the it after. replay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this one, it, we didn't have that happen to us because it was very limited. We yeah. went like 25 minutes without the first commercial I don't break. know how they did that. It was amazing, though. No, actually, no. I would watch it live, but I would also watch it afterwards without any commercial breaks. So okay. I wasn't getting thrown. And what's your robot rating or whatever rating you're calling it? <laughs> uh, I don't like to, I mean, I want there to be, I feel like a, a nine is too high mm -hmm. for this episode. Um, maybe uh, I'll go back and give this a nine okay. later on. You don't want to start I'm, so high. Not yeah, It's not just that. It's just that uh, this is like an intro episode to the like setting things up for the future. Now, if they set these things up and everything that they're promising delivers. here delivers in the sure. right way that that's going to make this episode that much more amazing. Like, we're okay. going to look back and be like, oh, this is this and that. Oh, my God, I can't believe this was right, in it now. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll give it, like, uh, an eight Tyler Durden's out of ten. Okay, so. <laughs> nice. Eight Tyler Durden's out of ten. I like that. So all pretty strong, though, on the episode one overall. I loved it. And I do have to say that I am terribly sorry that we're releasing this episode so late. Um, our Mr. Robot episodes will be released much earlier in the week from this time forth. It's, uh, we were away this weekend, and this was the earliest we can get it 
pushed out. But don't worry, it won't be the day before when we release it every time. Yeah, right. moving forward, we will be more timely. And like we said, we would like to include any of your feedback and your responses. So please keep in touch with us and let us know if there's anything we can do to improve. Oh, I have one more bitch fest. Um, Andy Greenwald is back, and now he's doing Hacking Robot. Hacking Mr. Robot. I, I was wondering if we should even bring it up. I actually didn't watch it. Did you guys watch it? I didn't watch it. I, I only just bit found it. out about it recently that they did it. Well, I was very upset because Talking Thrones, we didn't like that at all. No. No? And, I, you know, I love nerds, and I can get down because we're pretty nerdy. But this dude is kind of like... It was all fluff in the Game of Thrones one. They didn't, every time they bordered on going into real material, they had to back out and go to, this is our fun show. Look at our map. Look at our things. Let's joke around. So it was frustrating in that way. Now it looked like the Hacking Mr. Robot was going to be a lot more serious because he had Rami Malek and Christian Slater on there. So they had to be talking about some cool stuff. I am going to go back and watch just to give it a chance. And see how it yeah. goes, if it's structured a little bit more like Talking Dead. I watched it. He had Sam Esmail on there, too. Though when they spoke, it was very good. And I got to be honest, it is better than Talking Thrones. But maybe I'm just jealous because I feel like we would do better. <laughs> Why is this fuckhead getting all this? And also, like, uh, I wonder what Chris Hardwick is thinking about all this. Well, he, is it like that? Is it like Talking Dead? Yeah. He, okay. uh, I heard him say, like, uh, them question Hardwick about them doing that. Uh, talking Thrones and he said he was you know it's not like he's got like a monopoly on it like he loves Game of Thrones but it's like I'm not upset that they didn't ask me well not that I'm not upset that they didn't ask me but it's like it's not like I've like I'm the one in control of all these things so he's got enough yeah and he's his plate is pretty full I just feel like he handles it well and I I'm unsure about how the handling is going to be here how I'll feel about it but I, I will hold back my criticism until I watch it I don't like the name Talking Thrones either. Like, it is too much like Talking Dead, which I thought was like, oh, it sounds so similar. Was it Talking Thrones? No, it was After the Thrones. After the Thrones. After the Thrones. And then this is Hacking Mr. Robot. Uh, I'm not crazy about After the Thrones either, but... Uh, It was okay, but um, just listen to us. It's much better. (laughs) (laughs) That's the bottom line here. Stay tuned for our next episode. Speaking of us, really good news. Not that it matters because you guys are already listening, but... We have a new iTunes channel. So now we have officially three channels, mm-hmm. and it's on Google Play and, and Stitcher, all those guys. We have Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot episode review. And so Game it, of Thrones. Yeah. So with this particular one, if you just want to hear the Mr. Robot podcast, you can go to that one, subscribe to that. We also have the Game of Thrones, which is Coffee Clatch Crew, uh, Game of Thrones episode review, which is... Uh, Game of Thrones and Mr. Robot, because there's a big audience. We don't want anyone to miss. And then we have our and aggregator, which is our main one, which is the Coffee Clatch Crew uh, podcast. And that aggregates everything we have, all of our podcasts, including CKC, movie reviews, TV show reviews. So if you don't want to miss a, a beat, just subscribe to that one. And don't forget that there will be new Game of Thrones stuff coming out soon, too. So don't just dismiss the Game of Thrones one because you think it's over with and done. Uh, Like Jason says, if you want to just do Coffee Clatch Crew, you will get all of it because we will also be having the bonus part two for the Game of Thrones coming out in the near future. Uh, That's it for this episode. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me.
At this point in history virtually every human on this planet is enslaved whether they know it or not. This is not the crude and primitive slavery of ancient times. It does not rely on whips and shackles to keep the oppressed in their place. These tools have been rendered obsolete by much more sophisticated methods, that most of the enslaved are unaware of their condition and would in fact argue fiercely that they are free is a testament to the effectiveness of these invisible chains. You've heard the expression money makes the world go round. There's truth in that. Money is the prime motive for human labor in modern civilization. If you want food, shelter and clothing you must have money. And unless you are part of the tiny minority who have more money than they could ever spend in their lifetime, then you must work, beg or steal for that money. That's why you get up in the morning to go to work even if you hate your job. And that's why the specter of unemployment is more terrifying for most people than the prospect of spending 50 years of their life performing menial tasks within the confines of a fluorescent lit cubicle. Of course in western countries some are fortunate enough to have pulled away from the brink and do not live in fear that their basic needs will be met. At least for now. Yet they keep spinning the hamster wheel. Why? Because money and the bling it ties have become symbols of status and prestige. Money offers an illusory form of social validation, but even those who are not caught up in distinguishing themselves by how much they accumulate still just acknowledge the social stigma that comes with poverty. The combination of these primal motivators, the need for food, shelter, clothing, and social validation, is a very powerful force. It's enough to drive humans to engage in all forms of activity, even to the point of harming themselves or others in the process. The accumulation of money is therefore an accumulation of social and psychological power, and those who control the creation of money control this power at its source. So who controls the creation of money? Well in the case of the US dollar, it's not the government. This shouldn't be an earth-shattering revelation. The fact that the Federal Reserve is a private institution owned by a cartel of the world's most powerful banks is quickly becoming common knowledge. Even the mainstream media doesn't deny it at this point. However the full extent of what this means is only clear when you understand how the banking system really works. And unfortunately this is something we are taught in school. Once you have it explained to you in simple terms you'll understand why. Every dollar in circulation is loaned into existence by a bank. The process begins with the Federal Reserve when they loan out money to the US government and to other entities. You've probably heard this talk about before especially in regards to the interest rate on these loans which the Federal Reserve raises and lowers depending on economic conditions. But what is never talked about in the mainstream is the fact that the Fed isn't actually loaning out money that they have, they are merely typing those dollars into existence on a computer. You may be inclined to believe that this money is based on some physical backing like gold, but you would be mistaken. The Federal Reserve hasn't owned any gold since the 1930s. When the Federal Reserve loans money to the US government, the US government gives the Federal Reserve government bonds in exchange. These bonds are simply written promises to pay back the money that was loaned to them with interest through taxation. So to be clear here, the government is taking out a loan from a bank that is creating the money out of thin air, and they're expecting you the taxpayer to cover that loan. The absurdity of this arrangement is even more obvious when you realize that up until 1913 the US government created its own money, and had no need for a bank to play the part of a middleman. 
that new money loaned out by the Federal Reserve enters circulation through banks, accumulates in banks, and in the end the banks end up holding all of the cards, but not necessarily for the reasons you may imagine. Contrary to popular belief the majority of money in circulation isn't actually created by the Federal Reserve, but rather by the ordinary banks that businesses and individuals use for their checking, savings, and mortgages. How is this possible? Well, like the Federal Reserve, ordinary banks are allowed to loan out money they don't have. There are of course restrictions. Banks are only allowed to loan 10 times the amount that they actually have. So if Wells Fargo has $1,000 they can loan you $10,000, and they expect you to pay back that $10,000 plus interest. This is called fractional reserve banking. 75% of all money in circulation is created in this manner. Now as bad as this may seem it's really only the tip of the iceberg. Most banks structure payment plans so that for many years you are paying almost nothing but interest and only start paying down the principal gradually. The result of this strategy is that in most cases you pay far more in interest when you purchase a house than the house itself is worth. So here's the real question. If all money is created through loans, where does the money come from for to pay for the interest? Let's say we reset the system to zero, loan $1,000 into existence and charge 7% interest. We now have $1,000 in the system but we owe $1,000 plus interest and that's more. The money to pay the interest doesn't exist, never has, never will. This would be obvious if there were only one loan being issued to one person in this manner. But when performed on a global scale the reality is hidden, and is transformed into a game of musical chairs where the person ending up without a seat faces bankruptcy and financial ruin. The interest ensures that there is always more debt than money in circulation because every dollar in existence is tied to a debt this creates an unseen force that draws those dollars back to the banks. Like gravity attracts a physical object to earth. The catch here is that it is the work of the people that moves that money. Every hour that you work to pay back a loan or to keep the government from throwing you in jail over income taxes is an hour worked for the banks. The total receipts from personal income taxes just barely covers the interest on the national debt, and even the principal on that debt all ends up back in the hands of the banks. Once you understand that the money that the banks loans out isn't actually an asset, but is in fact a piece of legal fiction it should be clear that you are working for these banks for free. This is a cleverly disguised form of slavery. If you manage to maintain your monthly payments then you are a successful slave and you are allowed to keep the material comforts that come with that status. But if for some reason you fail to make your monthly payments then the bank or the IRS comes takes your house, your car and anything else you have of value. If somehow even with this enormous financial advantage the banks still manage to get themselves into trouble you the taxpayer will be forced to bail them out. No matter what the banks win. To say the game is rigged is an understatement. You might be inclined to think that if you live outside the United States and don't use dollars then this situation has no bearing on your life. But you would be wrong. The dollar is both a world reserve currency and the only currency in which oil is sold on the global markets. This is often referred to as the petrodollar status. This means that wherever you live, whether your country is an oil exporter or an oil importer you are affected. If your country is an oil importer you are affected by the fact that in order to keep your country running you have to acquire dollars. To acquire those dollars you have to send goods and services to the United States or to someone else who did. You too are a slave to the bankers. 
Likewise if your country is an oil exporter you are affected by the fact that you send your oil to the US in exchange for this debt-based money. You are exchanging something of real and tangible value for digits on a screen. If for some reason the leadership of your country grows tired of this arrangement and tries to pull off of the dollar you'll quickly find the United States military at your doorstep ready to open up a can of democracy on you. Iraq learned this the hard way when they switched their oil sales to euros in 2000 and Libya when they tried to organize a gold-based currency for Africa. De Say what?